Good evening. Please be opening your Bible to the book of Acts, chapter 16. Acts, chapter 16. It may well be true that what I'm going to do tonight will not impart to this audience new information. I understand that, but I have something in mind. As we read and study this familiar account in the book of Acts, I want us to be impressed by a simple and honest-to-the-text approach that we can use with this passage to teach non-Christians. Acts chapter 16. I do not know what it would be like to be thrown in jail, especially in the primitive culture of the Roman Empire, and in a local jail or dungeon in Philippi. None of us have been through an experience just like what we're going to read about. Paul and Silas suffered this event. I'm beginning at verse 25 in Acts chapter 16. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, 
And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Now, while it may seem obvious or elementary, let me stress that Paul and Silas were not criminals, not lawbreakers. There's no evidence of any criminal activity on their part that would justify what happened to them. No theft of property, no act of violence, no fraud, no form of any violation of law. You look back into the context of Acts 16 and here's what you discover as to background. Paul and Silas found some people involved in prayer when they came to this area out by the riverside and they sat down and talked to those people a woman named Lydia had a very good heart and she listened to Paul and Silas speak the word of the Lord to them to the people who were gathered there and she was baptized others were baptized and there was now a local church a group of Christians in Philippi in the course of these events, a slave girl who was possessed by a demon annoyed Paul and disrupted the work. So Paul used his powers as an apostle to remove the demon from her, freeing her of that burden. But verse 19 says, her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone. Now, this is human enslavement and greed and sinful ambition. Now you're beginning to see how these preachers got into jail, right? Verse 19 says, They, her owners, seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Verse 20 says, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. That was a lie. Verse 21, they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. That's another lie. <coughs> well, you see who was in the wrong here. And you see how these men who lost their source of profit were able to put Paul and Silas into jail because of influence. No crime was committed by Paul and Silas. They were preaching the gospel. A church came into existence by response to that preaching. A slave girl was freed from her owners, leaving her owners suffering with a loss of income, and the response of the owners was unlawful and unjust. And it was to agitate and to incite and create a mob reaction to these men. Virtually forcing the local magistrates to throw Paul and Silas in jail. The order was given to the jailer, keep these men in maximum security. Well, that's the background. <coughs> and what it leads to is the conversion of the Philippian jailer that we read in Acts 16, 29 to 40. Here's the approach I want to use and recommend. What was it that changed this man's life? What was it that changed this man's life, the Philippian jailer? 
it is clear to us reading the narrative, his life was changed. He became a Christian. Two of his former prisoners became his brothers in Christ. The jailer was baptized. His family made the same choice. This was a life-changing event for the jailer. But what was it? What was it that changed this man's life? I'm going to show you a very simple approach we can use when we're talking to our friends and our family, people who have not obeyed the gospel. What was it that changed this man's life? And we're going to start with the process of elimination. It was not the singing. Singing is important. We did that tonight. It has a spiritual purpose. And God instructs his people to sing. It is a privilege that we should take seriously. We know singing is important because, not of tradition but of the statements that are made in Scripture about it. Colossians 3.16 Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Singing is an expression of our hearts through our lips to the Lord while we admonish one another about spiritual things. Ephesians 5.19 teaches Christians are to sing and make melody with their hearts to the Lord. Singing is a valuable spiritual exercise from the hearts and lips of Christians. It reinforms our faith, gives good expression to our reverence to God, reflects our faith in Christ and lifts us above the mundane and the ordinary. Here in Acts 16.25, Paul and Silas were doing this. Brethren in Christ, together in suffering, praying and singing hymns to God. And it says the prisoners were listening to them. Perhaps the jailer was also listening hearing these prisoners sing hymns to God. Perhaps he learned something by listening to those hymns, but it wasn't singing that saved the jailer. The fact that Paul and Silas were praying and singing may have made some impression on the jailer. It could be that those listening were moved by the experience hearing these two prisoners sing. It may have been enjoyable to listen to. Or it could have sounded strange, but as important as singing is in the worship of Christians, singing did not save the Philippian jailer. It wasn't hearing vocal music that changed his life, that took him out of sin, and made him right with God. The earthquake didn't save him either. Verse 26 reveals that suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison was shaken and immediately the doors were opened, chains were loosened, unfastened. 
Would that get your attention? This was not a minor event or a tremor. This was a great earthquake. Here you are, charged as a jailer with the incarceration of these prisoners. Two of them are praying and singing, and then there is this earthquake. This is no ordinary day for a Philippian jailer. Whatever impact the earthquake had on the jailer in terms of his mental alertness and his emotions, it didn't save him. It was an experience, not a conversion. The miraculous element that you detect in the story did not save the sinner, did not change this man's status with God. Reminds me of what Abraham said to the rich man back in Luke 16, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Miracles had a role in the time of the apostles and the life of Christ. But miracles never imposed salvation on anyone. Miracles told people God was involved and his messengers were present. So it wasn't singing that changed this man or the earthquake. The voice of Paul did not change him or get him out of sin. Now let's approach this carefully to be certain we see it accurately in verses 27 and 28. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Mark this down somewhere. Paul was one of the first suicide prevention counselors ever. The jailer was ready to take his own life. The apostle Paul called to him and said, Do yourself no harm. Is the jailer saved at that point? No, not from his sin. It might be said Paul saved his life, but the words of Paul did not save him from sin. Sin is the word for our offenses against God. They do not go away when a suicide prevention counselor convinces us to stay alive. Those offenses are not removed simply because we let someone help us stay alive. Paul kept the man alive, but there is still sin to be pardoned and to be pardoned in the manner God has set up for pardon. The voice of Paul as a suicide prevention counselor did not save the man. A little side note here. Paul did not want anyone to ever think that they could be saved merely by hearing his voice, his eloquence. 1 Corinthians 2, Paul said, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. 
and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul had no interest in making an impression on people with his vocal skills, his presentation to gain praise for himself. While Paul, I believe, did his very best to deliver the message, it was the message he delivered. He wanted that message to make a lasting impression on people, not just hearing his voice. The Philippian jailer was not saved by the voice of Paul or his eloquence or skill. The suicide was prevented, but now still alive, there was something else necessary for this man's life to be changed. Falling down and trembling did not save the jailer. Now, in some religious circles, conversion is identified by some sort of emotional, uh, physical reaction. Falling down at an altar or on a stage and trembling and shaking with bodily movements apparently not under control. This is something that has its origin in pagan religion. The ancient Gentile religions encourage this. Someone would be, it was called, slain by the gods, out of control, rolling on the ground. Paul alluded to this in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 2, where he is instructing the Corinthians about the gifts of the Spirit. And he said, you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Now, in the case of the Philippian jailer, Paul stopped him from suicide, and he was overcome. He fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. That's a common emotional reaction when these kind of events occur suddenly. But he was not saved by his emotional reaction. All these earth-shaking events, literally, there's still a life to change. There's still a soul to be saved from sin. There's still a receiving of God's grace that needs to occur. Washing their stripes was not the basis of his salvation. This was actually something he did as an individual, evidence of his repentance and his appreciation. But this act, though commendable and practical, was not the basis of his salvation. Ephesians 2 and verse 9 teaches, We are saved not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, where are we in the study? <clears throat> We're looking at a case of conversion given by the Holy Spirit through Luke in the book of Acts. Sometimes it's useful to observe what is incidental and circumstantial in contrast to what is essential. John Clark, who preached in Texas for many years, used to say, in Bible study, you have to learn to separate things out and put them in their right categories. And that's what we're doing here. So what was it that changed the man's life? Not singing, 
not the earthquake, not the specific voice of Paul falling down and trembling, washing their stripes, and it wasn't joy. In our religious culture today, conversion is often identified more by emotion than anything else. So you'll hear people talk about having something that they felt deep down inside. And the expression used to be better felt than told. Conversion by many is viewed and talked about more in terms of emotion than anything else. Let me say, there is an emotional component to conversion. But emotion is not the essence of conversion. In this case, verse 34 says, the Philippian jailer rejoiced. It is important, however, to see when he rejoiced. And to observe that joy was not the cause of his salvation. It was the result. He heard the word of the Lord. He believed in Christ and was baptized as a result of his obedience. Verse 34 says, he rejoiced. This is very much like the case of the Ethiopian man. We talked about in a recent sermon, Acts 8.39, where the man from Ethiopia obeyed the gospel, and then as a result of his obedience, he went on his way rejoicing. So what saved the Philippian jailer? Well, it wasn't singing. It wasn't the earthquake wasn't the voice of Paul that kept him from suicide. It wasn't falling down and trembling. It wasn't washing their stripes, though that was good. It wasn't joy in itself. What saved the Philippian jailer? Well, we go back to our text, and we look now at verses 30 through 33. Then he brought them out and said, the jailer says to Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. But notice it goes on to say, They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And notice it goes on to say, He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his Family. What saved the Philippian jailer? He heard, believed, and obeyed the gospel of Christ. He was saved, therefore, by the blood of Christ upon the expression, the activity of his faith. These cases of conversion in the book of Acts are vital to our knowledge. And in the instruction provided in these cases of conversion in Acts, we have very good, solid ground to sit down and talk to people who are not Christians. Now, it was not intended by the Holy Spirit that we duplicate all the circumstances given in all these stories. Let me explain. You don't have to live in Macedonia or in Philippi to be saved. You don't have to be a jailer. No earthquake experience is necessary to salvation. You may or may not hear Christians singing before you obey the gospel. 
It is not essential to fall down and tremble. We must carefully distinguish circumstances of a particular case in the book of Acts from conditions of salvation. Conditions of salvation are constant. As you read through Acts and the rest of the New Testament, in every case there was hearing and belief. In every case, either stated expressly or implied, there was confession and repentance. And in every case, the person or persons responding to the gospel obeyed the Lord in baptism. See, we didn't make up the conditions of salvation. Members of the churches of Christ many, many years ago did not sit down and say, what are the conditions of salvation going to be? The apostles in the first century in New Testament times did not have a huge conclave or a convention or a committee meeting and say, what are we going to set as the conditions of salvation? The conditions of salvation were set in heaven and revealed by the apostles of Christ. The jailer heard, believed, and obeyed the gospel. He did all those things that you read about that are conditions of salvation. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Doesn't stop there. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Doesn't stop there. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. That's evidence of repentance. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. So, we need to say to people who are not Christians, God offers salvation to sinners based on the death of Christ. When that message is heard and believed, there should follow the response God has instructed. This says, immediately he and all his family were baptized, and he rejoiced having believed in God with all his household. Today, there is the same message and there ought to be the same response. Now the question is, are we going to preach this message? We who are God's people. If we don't, who will? We need to use the Bible to give people today the instruction given then and recorded in the New Testament. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The answer then is the answer today. And remember, we know this and we've obeyed the gospel, but isn't this a valuable text we can use to teach others? So who will you teach this week? Evangelism is our charge as God's people. Let's be standing as we sing.